0: The reading is from Luke chapter one, and it can be found on page 1025, and I'm beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep the Bibles open.
1: Thank you, Shirley. Very much indeed. Well, let me start with a very controversial question. What's the difference between us and uh, the Roman Catholics? If I get this thing to There we are. What's the difference? Now, it's a controversial question, and possibly uh, the answer is in a picture. Uh, The simple answer is Mary. And if you look at the statue outside many Roman Catholic churches, you see uh, the difference immediately. Mary is very big, and Jesus is generally little. As the Catholics uh, pray to Mary, uh, she's the one who's got the influence. It's like a little boy who uh, wants a bike for Christmas. So he writes a letter to Jesus, I've been good for a year, give me a bike. Then his conscience bricks him, so he throws a letter, gets another one. Uh, Lord Jesus, I've been good for a week, uh, give me a bike. His conscience digs him again, so he throws that away. He goes downstairs to the Christmas tree underneath which is a crib scene, uh, little baby Jesus in the manger, uh, little plastic shepherds, everything around him. And he picks up the figure of Mary, goes up back into his room, puts it on his desk, and starts with a new piece of paper, Lord Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> now, yeah, yes, it's a joke, but it makes a point that actually Jesus will do anything for Mary. And therefore many Roman Catholics treat her as more important. So in 1981, when Pope John Paul II was shot, uh, he uh, was uh, seen carrying his rosary and uh, praying to Mary as they took him in the ambulance. And the rosary itself is uh, said to be Mary's gift to the church, all about her And uh, I used to say that every prayer to Mary is one less prayer to Jesus, but actually it's more serious than that. Uh, Every prayer to Mary uh, essentially makes her bigger than uh, Jesus, Uh, so therefore uh, if anyone prays to Mary, uh, then um, uh, that person isn't thinking Christianly. And so verse 32, Of uh, Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel would remind us uh, that uh, he will be great. Uh, Talk of Jesus and says why. But this morning uh, we're not knocking Roman Catholics, uh, we're knocking ourselves. Because uh, we swing to the other extreme and can be very negative about Mary. So all we say is uh, what uh, she isn't. So uh, um, uh, she is not to be prayed to. She is uh, not someone who's stayed a virgin all her life. And it all sounds negative, doesn't it? And uh, that's uh, not right either. uh, Because the angel Gabriel uh, would uh, tell us that she is highly favoured. He says that twice, verse 28 and in verse 30. And let me tell you, if the angel Gabriel says that she is highly favoured, remember last week we found out that he is in the presence of God, he stands in the presence of God in verse 19, but therefore he ought to know what he's talking about. And if he calls her favoured, then we ought to uh, think of uh, her as favoured and learn. So if we want to give uh, Gabriel a good hearing this morning, uh, we'll come out uh, valuing Jesus more, but uh, I... Uh, wouldn't want us to go home without uh, wanting to be like Mary. Uh, We wouldn't want to ignore her after we see what Gabriel's got to say. So we're going to start with Jesus, because uh, that's uh, the person who uh, uh, the the angel Gabriel has really come to speak about. And uh, the headline uh, context of this passage. If you want to see how everything fits together, the headline thing is to get this, that uh, God is going to keep his people safe. Okay, that's the biggie. That's what we're going to be seeing again and again as we go through these verses. If you had to uh, write uh, God a job description, frankly, keeping his people safe is the one thing on his mind. And the way that he's done that all throughout his uh, Uh, the history of his people in the Old Testament, is by giving them kings. Now they had lots of them, some were better than others, but they were all given the task of looking after God's people in God's place. And the best of them was David. We'll look at him more next week when we have our all-age service. But when it came to looking after God's people... David was a man after God's own heart, and yet uh, they always knew there'd be an even better David who was going to be their king. And the reason uh, to get excited about this uh, new David is because once he'd start becoming, uh, uh, once he'd start uh, becoming a king, then he was never going to stop. Look at verse thirty-three. Uh, he is going to reign over Jacob's descendants <coughs> forever. I remember I introduced a service this morning saying that uh, Luke was writing to a man called Theophilus, showing that God's promise has always come true. He's written a whole book for Theophilus to keep learning that and seeing that. Well, stand by Theophilus. Here's another one uh, about to happen. Because uh, this promise of. Uh, a greater David uh, is going to come true, and it's going to come true because uh, Jesus is going to be Joseph's son, uh, son. And Joseph is the one who is linked with uh, David's line. And it's helpful for us who have grown up watching Christmas productions uh, at school to uh, realise that uh, little Joseph hasn't got a walk-on, walk-off part. Because without Joseph, God is not a promise-keeping God. He is that important. And as Joseph's son, Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever in a kingdom that will never end. And in the way that promises work, uh, once part one of a promise is achieved and Jesus arrives that's a guarantee that uh, uh, the future is going to happen under his reign he'll be the king forever and that means that we now live with that future in sight if you think about it every worry that uh, you have now as you sit there is actually because uh, this world doesn't have a king, whether it's neighbours from hell uh, or recession or illness. The root cause of everything that troubles you is that there is no king. And yet in the future, this world will be ruled by this king. And if you look at how the Lord Jesus cared for people when he was around, You know how much he outscored David on every single point. I was surprised this week. I discovered something like 24 food banks in Bach and Dagnam because of the deprivation. Where you look at the Lord Jesus and hungry people were fed to the point of Leftovers. Every kind of opposition is removed. Every kind of uh, sickness is healed. That's the kind of future that the Lord, uh, that, that, that Gabriel is talking about, and we will see the more when we get to chapter four, and we will hear from Jesus himself. And if you understand how Jesus therefore rules the future, then uh, Mary uh, isn't going to compete. It's all in His hands. And she won't affect your future in any way at all. Don't expect her to when Gabriel tells us that he is the king who will reign his world. No one will make a bigger difference than that. But Mary then asks a question in verse 34 that is brilliant because it opens uh, uh, the horizon even more for us to see a bigger view of Jesus. And in verse 34 Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now at that point you and I remember Zechariah last week and we go, uh oh, this doesn't look good. She is not going to be speaking for a long time either. But actually Mary's question is different. Mary's question is not about the physical impossibility of a virgin having a baby, but the moral impossibility of God allowing an unmarried girl to have a child. It'll compromise God's holiness if she was to have a baby with Joseph. So it's a different question. Zachariah's question is, how can you do this? Because I'm old. Mary's question is, how can you do this? Because you are holy. See the difference? And Mary isn't married to Joseph. They're engaged in verse 27. And it's a far more serious engagement than most of our UK. Engagements that we're familiar with. It's almost a marriage. The families have got together. Uh, Joseph and Mary are already together in many ways. I guess the closest we'll get to this is an African traditional marriage. It's almost, but not quite. And to have a physical relationship at this point, let alone a baby, was unthinkable, not even with that amount of commitment. It's unthinkable if you belong to a holy God. And so Gabriel reassures Mary in verse 35 that Joseph won't be the physical father, but the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, those words are actually a flashback to where the world was made in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you like, in the, uh, Genesis chapter 1, there was nothing in the womb of the world. And then in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the Spirit of God was over the waters. And therefore verse 35 isn't teaching us anything about sex, it's telling us something supernatural is about to be made out of nothing. Of the same magnitude as making the world. In fact it's even bigger because what God is going to do just like he did in Genesis chapter 1 but in a much greater way, God is going to showcase the Trinity to show us what he's really like. So you can see here that uh, the Spirit of God is evolved The power of the Most High Father is present, and our world will finally be allowed to see God, not just his world, in his Son. So the world was made with one God working as three persons, and now we'll see that perfectly in the birth and life of the Lord Jesus What an amazing uh, miracle uh, coming in. Uh, Now we know the wry smile that crosses people's faces when we talk about a virgin birth. Uh, What people say outside is that Mary's got herself into a bit of trouble and the Bible's giving a cover story to hush it all up. But remember how Luke's a doctor and uh, when he writes, he tells us in verse 3 how he's carefully researched everything from the beginning, so that we'll get the exact truth in verse 4. So when he writes this, then we need to understand that uh, this isn't just a, a fairy story. But actually, it has to be like this if God is going to keep his people safe. Think about it. If Jesus was Joseph's son physically then he would have been just another sinful man himself, born of two sinful parents. He'd be no different to the rest of us. But it was essentially, if Jesus was going to take your sin and mine on himself, that he should be born sinless to begin with, in order to do that. So God is going to this lap, to have a virgin birth simply so that he can forgive you. Now, I think Gabriel says that uh, nothing uh, is uh, impossible for God. In verse 37, in our version it says, no word of God will fail. Now he's not just saying that God can do miracles. Yes, he is saying that, because you see in verse 36 that uh, Elizabeth can have a child in old age. But he's also saying that nothing is impossible, no word will fail, nothing is too much for God when it comes to forgiving his people through his son. So the virgin birth is not something that was made up to save Mary from embarrassment. It was necessary to save us from our sins. You see how it was uh, right, therefore, for us to, um, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to really see that uh, the love of the Lord Jesus is magnificent in the virgin birth. It had to be like that, so the only sin in his life would be yours and mine. That is the greatness of this God. You see, our greatest worry is actually not our illness, or our recession, or our tense relationships, wherever they might be. The real worry is that we have a future where we'll be cursed by God, because frankly we've loved other things much more than we've loved him. And so, here is a king who is born with the makeup to save his people from that curse. He is born of a virgin, as I said, so the only sin in his life will be yours and mine. You see how much he loves you? And as we see that, we'll begin to love him. And if you're wondering how we might love God, well, let's finish by looking at uh, Mary and uh, particularly at the one liner. That she ends with in verse 38. Why don't we all kind of uh, read out that one liner together, so that we um, all uh, uh, see what uh, is. were we'll take her words for ourselves, because effectively that's what we need to be doing. So, ready? On the count of three, uh, we all read verse 38 together. Three. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Thank you, yes, that's a bonus. Now, uh, just learn three things, will you, from that? First, her motivation comes from knowing that she's favoured. Now, it's easy, I think, to focus on the cost to Mary. And so we've got to, to be like Mary, being willing to, to pay the cost and the price. Well, yes, that's, that's, that's fair enough to say that. It is a costly thing. The stigma of her pregnancy wouldn't just simply last for nine months, it would last for her lifetime. Sex before marriage so compromised God's holiness that it was punishable by death in those days. The sentence was never carried out, but the law was still on the statute book. So it was costly for Mary to to obey. But the point is she valued Gabriel's Words. Being the Lord's servant wasn't about the cost. It was about being favoured, highly favoured, mentioned twice. So whatever area of obedience God puts in front of us, I don't think cost think favour. Whatever area of obedience might be could be to do with an area of sinlessness that God wants us to, uh, to um, work at in a particular habit or failing. It may be uh, uh, the, 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 the calling of uh, singleness for some. It might be uh, uh, the encouragement to greater generosity with our money It could be uh, something to do with uh, serving in our church plant. But never think cost. Always think favour. It'll be an amazing privilege to be useful to God in that area. If God calls the one he's going to use favoured, then that's how we should think of being used when he calls on us as well. So think uh, about our big favourite words. We cover the Bible. And go on to the second point. Where, the, cost, where the, the focus of her identity is I am the Lord's servant. Now again, lots of the battles that we face in the Christian life, whether it's boredom at work, how we relate to people, what we use to influence us, uh, uh, films that are moving, music that uh, could be uh, influential. All these things can take us over, and the battles we face in the Christian life are usually around the issue of whose servant are we? If only we can uh, put on Mary's identity with our makeup. <coughs> Uh, or with our shaving foam, whatever it is, perspective returns. This is our identity, if we're one of God's people. And we think of it like that, and we understand the way through the battle. Thirdly, the focus of her desire is that God's word is fulfilled. And her joy is caught up again and again In what God has promised. And how it's working into her life. That those promises are happening. And she sees that again and again. So if you look at chapter 2. And verse 19. And the shepherds come. And she realises. That her son really is. uh, Someone that people are going to worship. And what does she do? She loves it. When those promises are being worked out. She treasures it. And she ponders it in her heart. At the end of the chapter, chapter 2, she finds Jesus in the temple, asking questions in chapter 2, verse 51. uh, She treasures these things again in her heart. So her treasure is seeing the little indications of God's promises uh, happening in her life. And it's often in the stresses of life that the promise God makes uh, begins to uh, be fulfilled. So actually, it was very stressful to Mary when she was heading off home, and uh, it's a perfect way to uh, ruin a good holiday, isn't it? Uh, you discover that uh, you've left one of your children behind. Uh, and so she scarpers back to uh, Jerusalem, and she finds that Jesus actually doing what uh, uh, Jewish kings do. Uh, Jewish kings, uh, before they became king, they had to write down the whole law of God uh, so they understood how uh, God uh, worked and God's character so they could be a king after God's own heart. But there's Jesus in his father's house asking all the questions, uh, wanting to be a a man after God's own heart, uh, seeing what his father was like. Uh, And so a very stressful time, uh, suddenly she realised it was very necessary. Uh, for the Lord Jesus to uh, um, uh, become uh, the king that he has been uh, promised he would be. And God's promise to us is that uh, he's going to make us like his son and therefore things are going to happen that may make us very stressed and panic, But it's all part of God's fulfilling his word to make us like him in his reaction. So he puts us in situations in order to uh, fulfil that promise, make us like his son. We should love it when we find ourselves as part of that plan working out in our lives. We should love it when God's word is fulfilled. And therefore Mary is very, very important. And I would want to say, probably the first response to make to uh, uh, looking at her, and learning from her, is to uh, make the response of humility that we actually aren't like her very much. We grumble when God calls us to be useful to him, rather than to be grateful that we are favored like that. that we dream of other identities we'd rather have uh, to do with success, rather than simply wanting to be the Lord's servant more than anything else including staying pure until we're married we love comfort rather than treasure the bigger picture of God's promise being worked out in the different details of everyday life some of them difficult see if only I was more like Mary and I need to humble myself when I'm not like her in these areas so don't forget Mary, but go home with a bigger love for the Lord Jesus. Imagine this world one day under his reign. And apply that to the difficulties and uh, the uh, challenges that we'll face this week. Uh, praying, may your kingdom come. And realize his amazing plan to be born a virgin. Just so that the only sin in his life would be yours and mine. Wouldn't you want to love someone who loves you? Well, we've got all the reason to do that with the Lord Jesus, uh, given who he uh, uh, will be and given the extent to which he's gone to serve us and to forgive us. So let's pray that God will help us to love him and let's keep a moment of silence while you speak to God in reply to what he has said to you in his word. Let's keep a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Almighty God, we are once again struck by the way you put before Mary and the way you put before us, our future King, and once again you reveal to us how your words don't fail, nothing is impossible for you when it comes to keeping your people safe. So please would you set our hearts to respond like Mary, valuing your favour seeing ourselves as your servants and treasuring the way that you fulfill your promises in our lives for the glory of your Son. Amen.